This morning we are going to um, give a message out of John chapter 5, next message in our Mark It Up series. And the title of this morning's message is Authority Problems. Who's got authority problems? Raise your hand. Okay, lots of hands raised on stage and in the audience. Many of us have authority problems, and fortunately Jesus has plenty of words to speak in. Father, we thank you for your word. It is an everlasting good for our lives. It is that which lasts forever. I'm reminded of the word of Scripture that says, the flowers of the field bloom and then they die, and the grass fades away, but the word of our God lasts forever. And we ask, God, that your word would permeate our souls today. We choose in this moment to open ourselves to you. It's really easy to come to church and say, I want it my way. But today, Lord, we just come in and as we open up this passage, we say, we want your will in our lives and we invite you to whisper to us through your spoken word. Father, your word is able to make the difference in our lives. And so we ask that you would teach us this morning, get me out of the way that Jesus could come through more powerfully. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're always available to us. Strengthen us now as we study and seek to apply to our lives. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. So when my uh, dear son Silas was going into kindergarten, uh, he was smiling and excited for his first day in kindergarten, and uh, he was smiling and his mom and dad were crying. You've been there, I'm sure. And on that first day, he turned to us and he said, Mom and Dad, would you pray for me before I go into class? We said, of course, buddy. We'd be happy to pray for you. What do you want us to pray about? And he said, would you pray for me that I wouldn't go to the principal's office? <laughs> well, that's a good prayer. We'll be happy to pray for that. And even if you do go to the principal's office, we love you all the same, and the principal will love you all the same, and we all make mistakes, but let's pray that today you don't go to the principal's office. And he had a good first day of school that evening, comes home and tells us all about the day, his different friends that he made, and at one point he pauses and he says, and guess what? I didn't go to the principal's office. God answers prayers. You, you, you could say that that was an early example of authority problems. We all have authority problems. We all kind of resist authority. I wonder if you'd agree that in our world today, there is a growing distrust in authority. Would you agree? It, I mean, it seems like across nations, across states, across cities, across communities, across homes, across churches, there is a growing, bubbling distrust in authority, period. Now, what I've noticed is that it's not just out there, it's also right here. I have a distrust in authority that I have to regularly check. Because the simple fact is, when you come to the scriptures, you will inevitably come to something from the mouth of Jesus that confronts the way you believe things should be. 
And when it does, the question immediately arises, will I go with what I want to be or with what God wants to be? We tend to like authority when it agrees with us. But what Christ does is he comes in and he has something that will disagree with each of us. It was the great 20th century theologian Abraham Kuyper who was fond of saying, there is not one square inch in the entire domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. That's mine. Every minute, every hour, every day of our lives, every inch of our existence, he who is sovereign over all, who is the creator and the sustainer of all, is able to rightly say, mine. The big idea from this morning's text is really, really simple today. It goes like this. Jesus has authority over all of me. I wonder if you'd say that out loud with me, both if you're watching online at home and here in the auditorium. Would you join me? Let's say this. Jesus has authority over all of me. Do we believe that? Jesus has authority over all of me. That's what he's going to be telling us, though, this morning in John chapter 5. Let's turn there now. As we continue to mark up our Bibles, you find the book of John after Matthew, Mark, Luke, then the book of John in the New Testament. God's given us a table of contents as well. You can use that, nothing wrong with that. By the way, if you don't have a Bible, you're always welcome to go out to the information table and grab one as a gift from us. We'd like everyone to have a Bible, and uh, we seek to mark up our Bibles here. Uh, you're welcome to do that as we go through John 5, starting at verse 16 this morning. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. The things he was doing was healing people on the Sabbath. In the previous text, he just healed two different people on the Sabbath. And because he was doing that on Saturday, their Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defense, Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these, so that you will be amazed." For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly, I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has given, for as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. 
And he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. He is the embodiment of what a man should be, and he's also the son of God, the embodiment of who God is in flesh. Jesus is all of that. Verse 28, do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done what is good will rise to live, and those who have done what is evil will rise to be condemned. By myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. If I testify about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another one who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true. It's quite a text. And again, the context of this passage, which is about authority problems, is Jesus' healing of a paralyzed man on the Sabbath day. In the previous passage, Jesus bows down to the level of a paralyzed man who's waiting at the pool of Bethesda in Galilee, and he looks him in the eyes and he says, pick up your mat and walk, go and be well. He shows compassion on this man who had been paralyzed for 38 years. It's a beautiful healing in every way. But the religious leaders who were watching on didn't find it beautiful because they said, that was work to do a healing on the Sabbath day. They added on all these additional laws on top of the Old Testament law to honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy. That's still a law for us today, to honor the Sabbath by keeping it holy. But they put all these additional laws on top of it saying that you couldn't do any kind of work whatsoever on the Sabbath day, not even a non-elective divine surgery. Nor could you pick up your mat and walk with it after being healed. Talk about straining the gnat. And so they're criticizing Jesus. They're coming after him. And they actually begin to prosecute him. The word here in our English Bible is they persecute Jesus. The Greek word is actually prosecute they're getting him ready for his future trial. And Jesus replies to them, listen, my father is always at work. He doesn't ever stop working. Even on the Sabbath day, he continues to work. You think about this from time to time. It's a good thing for us to think about that if God was to withdraw his hand for even a moment, we wouldn't breathe. We'd stop breathing. If he was to withdraw his hand for even a moment, evil would so completely envelop this world you think it's bad now, so much evil is restrained by the Holy Spirit. So Jesus is saying, my father is always at work. He is my dad, and I'm at work with him. I'm his representative, always at work as well. Well, now they're ticked off because he said not only that he has the authority over the Sabbath to be able to heal someone on the Sabbath day, but also he says he is equal to God the Father. He is always working with, the God, with God the Father all the time. And you see how angry they are because the summary statement in verse 18 is simply this, they decided to kill him. At, at this moment, they hear what he says, and they don't miss it at all. It's kind of funny to me that some contemporary Bible teachers say Jesus never claimed to be God. The original audience didn't miss it. 
The original audience hears it and they say, ah, he says he's equal to the father and so they tried to kill him. Like he hasn't threatened anyone, he hasn't hurt anyone, quite the opposite, he's been healing people, but they want to kill him because he said he has authority over everyone and everything. Here's a few examples. Verse 17, again, he says, the Father is always at work, and I also am always working. I have authority over the Sabbath. Verse 22 says, the Father judges no one, but trusts judgment to Jesus, that one day when we die and we appear before the judgment seat of God, we'll be appearing before Jesus. He has authority to judge. Verse 25, it says, a time is coming when the dead will rise and will receive resurrected bodies. What's that talking about? It's this. If your ancestors have died in Jesus Christ as their Lord, their souls are currently in the presence of God right now. But one day, they're going to come out of their crematoriums. They're going to come out of their graves. They're going to come out of the war-torn battlefields, and their bodies are going to be resurrected to those old souls without the aches and pains, praise God, okay? And Jesus is going to superintend all of that in the future resurrection. Verse 24 says that he has authority over eternal life. He has authority over everyone and everything. Now, the thing that's so surprising to me about this passage is that you see this incredible balance between Jesus' authority over everything and his submission to the Father. It's just incredible. He's all-powerful, and he's totally humble. He takes a submissive path with his Father all the time. We have these memory verse cards that we've been working through this year. If you don't yet have these, you can get them at the information table as well. But the verse for this month, for the month of May, is John 5, 19. In our family, we take these memory verse cards and we run through them a couple times per week in an effort to memorize them as a family each month. And this month, our memory verse card, again, is verse 19. It says, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself but he can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son does also. Uh, this is amazing. He's the omnipotent one. He's the omniscient one. He's the omnipresent one. And he says, I do what the father tells me to do. I say what the father tells me to say. I go where the father tells me to go. I do nothing of my own accord. I live in submission to my father in heaven. This is the second person of the Trinity he spoke and the universe leapt into existence. And he says, I fall in submission to my loving Father. You see, this is just a different definition of words like submission and authority than we tend to use here in our world. We tend to think of submission and authority as bad things, but the truth is they're beautiful words that, are, that, that would take place inside any loving relationship. They should happen in the home. They should happen in the church. They should happen in our cities. They should happen in our nation. That we would submit to really good authority that never manipulates for its own purposes. Like good authority, good leadership never manipulates, does it? Good authority doesn't try to 
twist things around for its own benefit. No, good authority helps other people to flourish. I know that's easier said than done, to live a life of submission, but that's what we're called to. That's really what we're called to. And it's not a bad word, it's a great word. Now, I would personally rather lead than follow. I would rather direct than submit, which is kind of my personality. But I recognize that's me in the flesh. That's me in the flesh. Because to be under truly great authority is a beautiful thing that helps us flourish. Like if you've ever had excellent leadership, you know it just raises the boats, doesn't it? I get the pleasure of working under excellent leadership with our superb elder board here at this church. Tremendous elder board, and I am under their authority, and it helps me to flourish. The greatest leader of all time is Jesus, and we live under his authority, and as we do, we flourish all the more. The key in all of this is to ask and probably answer the question every day, who is my authority? Do I mostly follow certain political leaders or radio personalities or my favorite podcast? Do I mostly follow the holy trinity of me, myself, and I? Who is my authority? Do I mostly follow Christ, pursue him with all that I got? The comedian Jerry Seinfeld once compared the average American man to a guy who's driving 60 miles per hour on the freeway, and he has a mattress on the roof of his car, which he has chosen not to strap down. And as people drive by, he's got his arm over the mattress, he's holding on to it, and people are looking at him, and he's yelling out the window, I got it, I got this, don't worry, I got this. Can you be that guy? I can be that guy that I I got this, I really don't need help. But Jesus designed that we would be under his good authority, that we would kind of surrender the wheel to him on a regular basis, surrender the GPS to him, allow him to strap down the mattress on top of the car, and that we would follow him in spite of a culture that is organized. We live in a culture that is now organized around the triumph of the self. Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, it's all pretty much organized around the triumph of the self and how I can show the self off. Now it can be used for good, and many of you do use it for good, and that's wonderful. Redeem what is out there, the technologies that are available, but they're organized around the idea of the Holy Trinity of me, myself, and I. It feeds into our hearts and the authority problems that we all have that we want to be the final authority on everything. So let let, let me just um, provide a few perhaps application questions for those of us who struggle with authority, including me, okay? Three questions for those with authority problems. The first one is this. Am I pursuing eternal life now, or am I passively waiting for it later on? Am I actively pursuing eternal life now, or am I passively waiting for it to come later on? Look at verse 24. Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life 
and does not come under judgment, but has passed from death into life. I don't know why you came here today, but it's possible that you came for this reason alone, that when you trust in Christ, you gain eternal life now. Like, you don't have to passively wait till you die to gain access to eternal life. You trust in Christ, and as you do, you gain eternal life right now. The, the good news of Jesus is he makes a difference in how we live, how we experience life, the good that we can do for this world here and now today. We look to the cross, we repent of our sins, we turn toward him, he begins to change us, and we experience more and more of his goodness every day. We trust in his unconditional love for us. Now we enter into eternal life today. For far too long, the church has kind of taught that salvation is basically fire insurance. It's not wait till you die and keep you safe from hell. The kingdom of God is not something to be accepted now and entered into later. No, the kingdom of God is to be accepted now and then entered into right now to enjoy him more and more. Here's how Jesus began to preach. Matthew chapter 4, the beginning of his ministry, as he begins to preach, he says, repent for the kingdom of the heavens is at hand. Here and now, the kingdom of heavens is at hand. So here's my holy trinity of what I want in the world, me, myself, and I, everything that I want. I'm repenting of that, repenting of that kingdom. Repent means turn. And I'm turning toward Jesus' kingdom, which is now at hand today. It's all around us. The kingdom of heaven is all around us today as we trust in Christ, as we live with him, as we operate with him as the throne of our lives. Now, we all have our own little kingdoms as well, and we can fall into those, and then we're not operating in the kingdom of heaven. And then, of course, there's a kingdom of Satan that he has some superintendency over this world, and we are to fight against the kingdom of evil for sure. But as we dwell in the kingdom of God with Jesus on the throne of our lives, then we really are transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ, and we really do become the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We're changed in such a way that we bring goodness to the world around us because we're constantly interacting with him. Like just think about some of the promises that Jesus offers to us for today. Not just for when we die, but for eternal life starting now. He offers us, if anyone is thirsty, come to me and get a drink, and streams of living water will flow through you now. If anyone's hungry, come to me and eat, and I will nourish you in a different way, he says. If you're worried, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Don't worry about tomorrow, for today's worries have enough of its own, and God takes care of creation, God will take care of you too. Wouldn't that be nice not to worry anymore? Ooh, that sounds like kingdom of God life. Not worrying anymore. Or do not be weary or burden, come to me when you're weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls, peace and life in abundance now. We step into a kingdom mentality, life with God today, and the result is we actually can become people of love, 
joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Like the fruit of the Spirit are not just nice words on paper. It's the work of God in our lives as we rest in Him. He changes us into that kind of person. That's the most beautiful kind of person you'd ever meet. Someone who holds those nine characteristics because they are dwelling with God. And you get this into your bones, like the kinds of things that we talk about here on a regular basis on Sunday morning. You, you meditate on the Word of God. You, you, you listen to the Spirit of God. You say, speak, O Lord, for I, your servant, I am listening. You trust and obey whatever God has given you to do. You worship on Sunday morning, but you also worship through the week. These different practices that enable us to move more and more into the stream of God's grace and receive more of his goodness for us, that's what helps us to enter into the promises of the cross today. I love the way worship artist Sean Groves summarizes this so beautifully. He says, the Christianity that I grew up with asked me to accept Jesus into my heart if I want to leave earth for heaven. It was about escape. Let me ask you a question. By show of hands, was that basically the Christianity that you grew up with? Raise your hand if it was. Okay, I see a bunch of hands raised right now. Escape from this earth was the idea. That's salvation, that's eternal life. The rest of the quote goes like this. The Christianity of Scripture commands my allegiance to Jesus and participation in bringing heaven to earth while I live now. It's about invasion. Doesn't that sound better? Like, I mean, you're living in it now such that one day it will be a step up into a more glorious reality than you're experiencing today. That's what we're invited to. It's not wait till heaven to begin living life. No, that's cheap fire insurance. It's an invitation to begin living with Jesus Christ, who is life and joy and peace forevermore, starting right now. Are you waiting or are you actively pursuing eternal life right now? And then, whose glory do you seek? you're asking about authority, you want to ask this question. The second authority question is, whose glory do I seek? The main reason the Pharisees had such a problem with Jesus is because they threatened, Jesus threatened their authority. They had a sense of control over other people's lives. They had a way of doing things that they did not want to be changed. They had pride and they had self-honor. And Jesus comes in with some new information about God that they hadn't really been thinking about and he threatens their authority. And so they begin fighting with him. Now Jesus, as he's being fought with, doesn't pick up swords. He doesn't mostly defend himself. In general, he stays silent. Even at the cross, he was like a sheep before the shears. He was silent before his oppressors. But in this case, he does call some witnesses on his behalf. And you might read this passage later on today, but between verses 31 and 47, he says, John the Baptist testified about me. This is why I have authority. 
Uh, the Father testified about me. My own works, my own miracles, they testify about me. The scriptures testify about me throughout the Old Testament. You searched them, but you missed me, he says. And then Moses testifies about me. The reason, he says to the Pharisees, that you don't believe in spite of all of those witnesses is pride. Pride. Okay, it's not that there wasn't enough evidence for them to believe. It was that their pride got in the way of belief. To which Jesus summarizes the entire thing by asking them, how can you believe when you accept glory from one another, but you do not seek the glory of the one who alone is God? Like, you can't even believe. You can't even trust Christ if you are seeking your own glory as opposed to seeking God's glory. And the way that the Pharisees, while were doing that back in that day, was showing how much they knew about the Bible, how much they had memorized, and they would kind of show off their intellectual prowess by quoting really long passages of Scripture and by kind of acting as a moral police for everyone else in their knowledge of Scripture and how they applied the, the Scriptures. They were showing off how much they knew. Now, fortunately, showing off has died away back in the first century. Ha ha, yeah. We don't have to deal with that anymore. You cannot seek God's glory and your own glory at the same time. It's impossible. It's impossible to seek my glory while also seeking God's glory. It'll be one or the other. It seems that uh, sometimes today people think that they need to increase so that God can increase. Like if I can get more followers, if I can get more friends, if I can get more likes, if I can get more video views related to my posts about whatever, then maybe God will increase. God doesn't need any help. We must decrease. He must increase. He must be greater. We must be less. My mentor is a man named Tom Shirk. He led me for many years when I was in Colorado, and he's been a faithful pastor for uh, about 30 years or so. And um, uh, probably... Uh, a decade ago, there was a man in his church that came to faith in Christ, and uh, he was a super wealthy businessman. He founded a number of companies whose names you would know, and he was probably worth $200 million. And after he came to Christ, Tom began to disciple him for quite a while, and in one particular meeting, this man said to my mentor, Tom, he said, you know, when I first got started in business, I just wanted people to know how wealthy I was. I wanted people to know that I am really wealthy and that it's really working for me. I'm making a ton of money. And then I continued on, and I, I really wanted people to know what a creative entrepreneur that I am. And then I became a Christian, and now I, I really want people to know that I'm a great father and a great husband. He said, Tom, my question is this, what am I to be known for next? And without missing a beat, Tom said to him, perhaps what's next is not needing to be known for anything. 
Do you have faith to hear that today? Do you have faith to hear that today? He must increase. I must become less. Whose glory do I seek? Last question is this, and I'll wrap up. Does Jesus have authority over all of me? Jesus has authority over all of me, but does Jesus have authority over all of me? And perhaps a really good litmus test for this is, do I practice the Sabbath? Again, the, uh, the, the entire context of Jesus' statements on his authority is related to Sabbath, but it's not to cancel the Sabbath. There's no place in the New Testament that Jesus cancels the Sabbath. Instead, well, what he does is says, don't turn into a legalistic thing that you're hitting people over the head with the Sabbath. The Sabbath is intended to be a gift for people. The Sabbath was made for mankind as a gift for mankind. And it's made for us so that we would actually be refreshed every week. Who would like some refreshment every week? I would like to be refreshed every week. And so God has organized us this way. He has created us this way that we would receive rest and refreshment through prayer and playing every week. Let me say it again. You rest and you get refreshed through one day a week as you pray and as you play one day a week. What we have instead in our culture today is we work nonstop and then we have entertainment nonstop. But neither of those are actually refreshing. What God would intend for us is we would work really hard, but then we would be refreshed on one particular day that is intended to be holy. Holy means set apart and unique, something different, that we would enjoy something about that day. In our family, we pray a little bit more and we play a little bit more. And the result of it is that after Saturday, except for graduation season, I'm refreshed into Sunday morning. It's a powerful thing that God gives out of great love for us. It's a gift to be received, and it's also a gift to be obeyed. Now, many of us have simply thrown the baby out with the bathwater when we see how the Pharisees treat it, but that's not Jesus' point in this passage at all. His point is, if an emergency comes up on the Sabbath, you can tend to that emergency. There's never a bad day to do good, so you can go ahead and tend to that if an emergency comes up. But generally, when I'm working on Saturday, it's not because of an emergency, it's because of my lack of planning, okay? And therefore, I miss the blessing that God has for me. So a really good diagnostic question, a couple good diagnostic questions for me and perhaps for you would be, if I was to look at my calendar and I was to look at my checkbook, how would they reflect my understanding of God's authority over my life? Calendar and checkbook, Sabbath, and how I spend my money indicates what I believe about God's authority over my life. Other good questions would be, is there any relationship that I'm in right now that I haven't actually surrendered control over to God? How about any leisure activity? Is there any leisure activity that I haven't actually surrendered to God? Or my internet surfing, is that the Lord's too? Is there a relationship in the workplace that I am holding on to? This relationship is going to be the way I want it to be. Maybe there's some other corner of your life that I haven't listed 
that you would say, I understand that Jesus basically says, all of life is mine, I have sovereign authority over it all, but Jesus, this little corner over here, that's for me. I'm telling you, Jesus, this part is mine. Maybe the Lord would just be saying to you even today that that is intended to be his as well. He intends to be on the throne of 100% of our world. And this ultimately is liberating for us, to have him on the throne as opposed to us on the throne. The reason the Pharisees were so angry and so bitter and they acted like the moral police is because their authority was questioned. They're not happy people at all. And you see their bitterness, you see their rage, you see all of that as a reflection of this expectation, I have to always be in charge. When you think I have to always be in charge, I have to always be the authority, then the result is what you see with the Pharisees. But if we say to God, I trust in you, I'd like you to be in charge of this day. I'd like you to be in charge of this hour. I'd like you to be in charge of this minute. Ultimately, that leads to joy and peace, to a life of happiness under the greatest leader who's ever lived, to an increasing life that is in tune with eternity, starting right now. Would you pray with me? Oh, Lord Jesus, we thank you that you invite us to your authority. We are made to be people under your rule. And we ask, God, that you would have your way in us. I recognize that this is a challenging message because each of us wants our own way. And the authority problems that we see across nations and states and in cities don't just exist in those other nations and states and cities, they exist in our hearts. And so probably in the last half an hour, we've heard some things that confront the way we want our lives to run. And if you've been confronted, just receive that as the grace of God. It's the grace of God that confronts us, that leads us to repentance, and then brings us forgiveness. So I just ask myself and I ask you, is there an area of life that you're holding on to sovereignty? Is there an area of life that even right now God is calling you to surrender to him? And in the quiet of this moment, perhaps you would do just that. Lord Jesus, we, we really know that life works out best when we are following you. So Father, give us courage to surrender to you each day to live with eyes fixed on Christ more and more each day, to trust in your will over our lives, to believe you, and to enter into a greater, more abundant life of joy with you at the center even today. We'll be careful to give you all credit for the work you do in our lives. We love you, Lord. We thank you for having us as we are. Every single one of us is in process. Please have us as we are.
In Jesus' name.